Will you uh, bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we um, we take time to quiet our hearts and to center ourselves on you. We ask that your word would speak this morning. Father, I ask that um, you would... Uh, Push me out of the way and speak to all of us here, including me this morning. As we celebrate together um, your last supper, in your name I pray, amen. Last week, uh, we we went through and talked about uh, Psalm 23, to which I would would like to briefly turn, if you'll turn there with me. Psalm 23, a very, very famous psalm, a psalm that gets a lot of attention and, uh, and one that still, I feel, needs a little bit of clarification, which we did last week. Last week, I did you the favor of telling you the whole point of the sermon right up front, and, uh, and, and that point is that everything that's good um, that, that, that David in, the, in Psalm 23 is claiming is not circumstances, but God. That no matter what we go through, if the Lord is our shepherd, we really can't be wanting anything because we have everything already. So when we pray this together, we're not praying that all of our circumstances get better, um, though we certainly can pray for those things. But what we are praying is that the Lord um, will be our exceedingly great reward. And so that we can go through anything and we can have those things push us closer to the Lord rather than separate us from the Lord, if that makes sense. That was the point of the sermon last week. It just took me a lot longer to say it last week, right? So that's the sermon in, in, in review. Let's read together Psalm 23. And once again, when I say read it together, I mean I'll read it out loud. You can read it in your hearts. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. I'm going to do you a double favor. I'm going to tell you right now what the point of my sermon is, right up front, so that I can wander around in the text and make observations and you know where we're going. Where we're going is called the Last Supper. It's uh, sometimes called the Eucharist, sometimes called communion. It's a a Christian ritual in which we celebrate um, the death and resurrection and the promised hope of Christ's return together by eating bread and drinking wine together. This is a ritual that Christ instituted, and it's something that is deeply, deeply meaningful and very, very ancient This is something that stretches all the way back. This is not something that Christians just invented to make themselves feel better, but this is something that started with Jesus Christ 
um, as he celebrated his last supper. And he asked his disciples to continue having that supper together in remembrance of him. And that one day, all of Christian, all of everybody who is a child of the Lord would be able to go through that ritual with Jesus Christ. Um, so Jesus Christ had it once and he'll have it again. And in the meantime, we celebrate it. So the elements are here on the table. This is my point. So if somebody says to me after the service, exactly what was your point? I hope to be able to respond to them. You ate it and you drank it. Okay? If that's confusing, I'm sorry. (laughs) But we'll get there. The whole point of last week and this week culminates in going through this ritual together. And I would like to try to make that meaningful for you this morning. So we're going to spend a few minutes... Um, and, and I'm going to launch from where we were last week. The Lord is my shepherd, and we're going to work our way. I have point one, point two, and point three is on the table before you. Okay? okay. All right. David, David claims in Psalm 23 that the Lord is his shepherd. And David says to Saul in one of the stories, the story of David and Goliath, he says that I am a good shepherd. David is a good shepherd. And the reason he's a good shepherd is because he he had rescued sheep from a lion and from a bear. And he had done that because, even though he was but a youth, which means uh, probably in the Jewish tradition under 13 years old, um, that even though he had attacked a bear and attacked a lion, he did that because he understood that the Lord would rescue him because the Lord is a good shepherd. David had faith in God. Um, He had faith to look forward for personal salvation. He could look at circumstances. And in this particular circumstance, there was a giant um, who had a huge sword who was down in the valley between these two armies, and he had the faith to be able to walk down there and know that he could do whatever he needed to do, which was to go into battle with this giant, because the Lord is his shepherd. And the Lord would rescue him. He could look forward to his salvation. At the end um, of Psalm 23, as I get to the end of it, I get this feeling like David is doing more than just saying, the Lord is my salvation. I get this feeling that it's, it's, it's written down and that it's, it's passed on from person to person so that they too can pray it. This is not just something that that David had in his mind um, and and that was deeply meaningful to him, but because it's written and because it's scripture, it is a personal invitation that David is saying, not just the Lord is my shepherd, but that you too can have the kind of faith in God because he is a good shepherd. The very last line of, of poetry... You, uh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When he uses the word surely, he switches from all of these things have happened, right? He's, he's illustrating different parts of his life with lines of poetry, 
And he's saying, you know, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, it, my cup, it, it's, it's, it's running over. You've anointed my head. Surely. He gets to that word, surely. And he's looking forward. David looks forward. And he says what? Goodness and mercy are going to follow me all of the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You notice that David doesn't say how. He doesn't say how it's going to happen. He says that it's going to happen. And when he says that it's going to happen, the only basis he has to make that claim is the fact that he knows that the Lord is a good shepherd. He is looking forward to his salvation and he says, someday, some way, God is going to allow me to dwell in his house forever. Now, again, that's a personal invitation. Would you turn with me over to John chapter 10? Uh, we are going to read a, a part of a discourse that Jesus is having with the people who are following him. <clears throat> So I'll read it with you, and then I'll explain it a little bit. Chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, Truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. 
There was again a division among the Jews because of his words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That's a big chunk of scripture. And and there's a number of, of, of statements that Jesus makes about how you know that he's the good shepherd. See, David... David starts in Psalm 23 looking forward, saying, Somehow, some way, surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because the Lord is a good shepherd. Jesus says, Listen, let me tell you about a good shepherd. I'm going to let you know how you're going to know. And us standing here today, we can look backwards and we can see how Jesus is the good shepherd. And he tells us right here in John chapter 10 how we will know what a good shepherd is and how he is that good shepherd. First, Jesus says that shepherds go first. He said, you will know that I am the good shepherd because I'm going to go first. Because my sheep know my voice. Jesus doesn't feel like he has to drive the sheep out, but he can simply call them by name. That by his voice, because his sheep are familiar with him, he can go forward. They will follow because they know him. This is prophecy. Jesus is telling them, I'm going to go first. And I'm going to call you. And when I call you, after I have gone first, you'll come too. He's speaking here not just about the kind of life that he lives. Certainly, Jesus calls us to live like he did. But he is talking about dying. He is talking about being killed and being resurrected. And he is saying to his disciples, you will know that I'm the good shepherd because I'm going to do this first. The good shepherd doesn't take his sheep and and try to herd them with him behind them because they're scared. They can't do that. They have to follow behind the leader. So Jesus speaks this prophecy about what he's going to do. He knows that the sheep will be bound to him by his voice. Second, he says, you will know me because I am the door. You will know the good shepherd because there is the concept of door is one that protects, correct? It's one that keeps the sheep in at night and lets them out during the day. And he says, that's me. I am that way, that narrow opening that you can go back and forth through. If you see people climbing up over the walls, trying to get in, they're not coming in to help the sheep. They're they're coming in to kill, to rob, and to destroy. See, we know who the good shepherd is by how he treats us. We know um, that he is going to rescue us because he does. Somebody says, I'm rescuing you. Beat beat you. Cut your throat. Take all your wool. I'm jumping in and out over uh, over the wall rather than going through the door. People who claim authority of their own accord. 
not through Jesus. They claim power. But they don't claim the kind of power that Jesus had. They claim it of themselves. If you have any shepherd who stands before you and claims power that isn't through Jesus Christ, you'll know that they're a false shepherd. You'll know that they are there to rob, steal, and destroy. Because Jesus is the door. What people say about Jesus shows their heart and who they are. Jesus is saying, not only do I go first, but I am also the door. Lastly, Jesus says, you'll know that I'm the good shepherd because your life, the life of the sheep, becomes more important than the shepherd's life. And he paints us this picture of the hired shepherd, right? Everybody's uh, been to the mall or to that, um, that lot of, of cars uh, down by the bridge, and there's a security officer, right? Jesus is making a picture quite like that. In all the movies and probably in all of real life, when the robbers come into the bank, that bank security guard who's sitting there, what does he do right away? He lays down and he says, hey, you'll have no trouble from me. This isn't my money, you know. I'm just here to make sure everybody stands in line and does the nice thing. You know, I walk around with a big chest. But as soon as the going gets tough, hey, I'm out of here. And Jesus says, yeah, there are those kind of shepherds. They walk around with a big chest and all of that sort of stuff. But as soon as the wolves come, these guys have, have really good vision. They're standing on their hill with their sheep, keeping their sheep in line. And they can look three hills over and see a wolf over there. And what do they do? They're gone. They're out of there. They say, hey, I'm getting paid minimum wage here. My life is not worth that, you know. So they they take a hike, and Jesus says, watch. Watch what happens when the wolves come. The people who are taken off, who are supposed to be your shepherds, they're not good shepherds. They're just hired hands. He's, of course, speaking about himself, and he's saying, watch what happens when the wolves come. Because I'm going to go first, and I am the door. Watch what they say about me. He says shepherds who just watch are just hired shepherds. But there are good shepherds. There are good shepherds who say, these are my sheep. And he sees the wolf coming from three hills over and he takes out his rod and his staff. And he's ready to go to war. Even if it means his own life. The good shepherd, the good shepherd protects the sheep with his own life. Because they're his sheep and he cares about them. But watch this. There's the the hired hand. There's the good shepherd. And then there's the God shepherd. How do you know when the good shepherd is actually God? He lays down his life for the sheep. And then what? He says it right here in John chapter 10. He says... And death is just an enemy that I'm going to beat up. I will lay down my life for the sheep because that is required of me. And watch me. I will take it up again. Because it's mine to take up. Because I'm God. 
That is a bold proclamation for a first century Jew to say, watch what happens. I just want you to watch because I'm the good shepherd. I'm the God shepherd. And as we look back, we, of course, can read a few chapters ahead, right? We know what's, what happens to Jesus. Actually, the wolves come, and the sheep scatter, and the shepherd remains on the hill. And he lays down his life for the sheep. And then he picks it up. He takes it up again. He resurrects. One last Scripture, if you will, Luke chapter 22, even though you're going to the left in your Bibles, it's actually ahead on the timeline, Uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 14, this is where Christ initiates the rite of the Lord's Supper. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took a cup. When he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another. Which of them could be who is going to do this? Jesus makes this claim that he's the good shepherd. And here at the table, he says, this is my body. This bread is my body. This cup is my blood. And he offers it. He gives thanks for it. And he offers it to his disciples. He says, divide it up amongst yourself and consume it and do that in remembrance of me. Because there's going to come a time when we're in the kingdom and we do this together. This is my last time doing it. But in a sense, it's their first time doing it. See, the Old Testament, we know a couple of things about what sheep are for, what the animals are for. They're for food. And they're for sacrifice. Humans take a sheep and they cut its throat and they pass on their sin symbolically onto that sheep and kill it so that God will be able to forgive them. And they eat the food, the the sheep's body, they boil it, roast it, eat it, and it gives them nourishment. And Jesus is doing the exact opposite here. He is saying, I am the human. I am the human who is God. And I die so that you can eat my body. And so that you can have your sins forgiven. 
This reversal means that we who are the sheep actually consume the shepherd. That we who are the sheep have to rely on the shepherd not just for protection, not just to lead us, not just to guide us, but actually for food, for sustenance, and for entrance into the kingdom. So when we take communion together, we proclaim a few truths. And as you take communion, here is what I would like you to think about. This is what you are doing. This is what we are doing together. The first is we are proclaiming that Jesus Christ died and rose again because he's the good shepherd. And that this is our food We are saying that Jesus Christ is our personal Savior. That we will surely dwell in the house of the Lord forever because He's the Good Shepherd. Second, as we eat the bread and drink the wine together, we are saying that He went first. Jesus Christ went first and that He has called us by name. That we are bound by his voice to follow. Because we know him. Because he saved us. So in a sense, when we eat the bread and drink the wine, we're saying, hang on Jesus, I'm coming too. I'm right behind you, Lord. Third, this is a personal invitation for other people to also eat of the Savior, to drink of the Savior, to look forward to their own personal salvation. When we take it together, it is not as an exclusive community, but an inclusive community. The Bible says that we are messengers who are sent out to say, come to the banqueting table. Come to the banqueting table. We don't invite people to do it in ignorance. Right? Because this ritual isn't what saves people. Jesus saves people. So we're not just running around giving people Wonder Bread and some, and some wine or juice so that they can get saved through a ritual. That's not what's happening. We invite them in, in total knowledge and understanding that when they do this, these are the things they're proclaiming. They're saying, Jesus, I need you to be my sustenance to be my shepherd so that I too can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When we take it together, we are inviting those people who are around us and those people who are outside of us to come to the banqueting table of God in full knowledge and understanding of what they're doing. There's a danger here. There's a danger that that if we do this without thinking... In that same parable, there's a wedding guest who shows up who's not dressed for the wedding. He just followed the crowd. He didn't know what was going on, and the king says to him, Hey, how come you're not dressed up for a wedding? And says the man had no answer. He was speechless. Because he didn't know he was at a wedding. We don't invite people to the banqueting table in ignorance. Because what happens then is God gets angry that the messengers gave an invitation and didn't bother to tell anybody what they were actually inviting them to. So when we invite people to the table, it's it's that they would not do it out of ignorance because that will 
make God angry, not just with that person, but with us for not taking it very seriously. In 1 Corinthians, it says, the person who takes it without thinking, without rightly judging themselves, is actually not eating and drinking salvation. They're eating and drinking judgment. So we don't want to do that. We want to invite people to the table so that they too can experience salvation, not an empty ritual. Lastly, we do this as a community with one another. In some sense, you are missing out on something if you tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the wine, go into the closet, and take it by yourself. We believe that there should be somebody who offers it to you. We believe that you should be able to offer it to other people. We believe that as we take communion together, we are saying not just, hang on, Lord, I'm following you, but we're locking arms with the people to the left and right, and we're going together, that we're not alone. Prepare your hearts for this. So my sermon is over. I'll just give a few instructions. We're going to sing a couple of songs. The reason that we're going to sing a couple of songs before we take communion is because it gives us an additional opportunity to proclaim truth to one another and to set our hearts in the right place. And after these couple of songs, um, I will come back up and read the scripture passage. Get all my stuff out of here. And... Uh, Bruce and Elena will come and offer the sacraments to you. At that time, you can come up and take them. Please don't take them by yourself, but wait. And once we have all been served, we'll take it together. And then we'll be dismissed for the day after we sing another song. From uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About other things, I will give directions when I come. I ask that you would follow the Holy Spirit's leading this morning. We'll open up the elements. And uh, I just, I ask that as you examine yourself, um, that you would follow the Holy Spirit's leading to partake.
in the body and the blood of our good shepherd. Um, I'll have Bruce and Elena come up as you can, um, and as the Holy Spirit leads you, would you come forward to receive the body, to receive the blood, and, and go back and, and wait. We'll all take it together. If you can't come up um, after the lines kind of die down, we'll bring it to you. Just, just make a motion, and we, will, and we will do that. Let me for it. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son Jesus, for being the good shepherd, for giving us a way to dwell in your house forever and ever, for having mercy and goodness follow us all of the days of our lives. We proclaim Christ's death and his resurrection, and we proclaim that he's coming again. Together, Father, we do these things in total thanks. In your name, amen.